Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us and show us what you want us to see through all this. In Jesus' name, amen. First Chronicles chapter 1. Chronicles was written, they believe, during the exile or shortly thereafter. It was designed to help them relearn their history. Uh, most people believe that Ezra is the writer of it, but it's unknown as to who wrote, who wrote the book. Uh, originally in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles is one book. We have it as two books, but they have it as one. It is an appendix to the Book of the Kings, which again, in the, we just got done with the Second Kings, but in the Hebrew Bible, uh, first, second Samuel, first, second Kings were all one big book, one very long book that they have. Uh, so now we have the Chronicles coming out. In Kings, we, we looked at the kings of Israel and Judah. In Chronicles, we primarily only look at the kings of Judah. Every once in a while, there'll be a quick story about the kings of Israel, but we're looking primarily at the kings of Judah. Um, it's basically designed to be a historical book and, and show it. It shows the sovereignty of God. David is the central theme of the whole two books. It's tracing his family. All right, and we're going to find out as soon as we're done with the genealogies in this book, we go to David, the death of Saul, and then we go on to David and, and his sons in rapid succession over all those story, over all those years. Um, outline of the book is very simple. Uh, the first nine chapters is a genealogy, or genealogies. Um, and then we have in chapter 10, the death of Saul. And then in chapter 11, through the rest of the book, we have the reign of David. All right? Uh, so that is the outline of the book. Uh, and it's basically, like I said, it was there to show the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge. And we're going to see that even through the genealogies, they're there to show God is in charge, and it shows a unbroken line of ascent all the way through the kings, and it shows that uh, it's one of these things that help us understand that God fits into history. And the book fits into history. And it's got some very revealing things in it as we look at the genealogies. We're not going to go through every single name of, to try to find out any detail. But I've picked out a handful of names to, to kind of highlight as we go through. Unfortunately, I will read every one of the names. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why Lynn's here. She's here to laugh at me. So, First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. Adam Seth Enoch, Kenan Mahalaili, Jared, Hinnok, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, in case you don't know them, recognize these names. These are straight lineology from uh, Adam to Noah. All right, slightly different pronunciations than they are in the Book of Genesis probably because of the language changes over the years and the fact that probably written more in Aramaic language than the Hebrew language that, uh, that Moses used in the original ones. And so, the, but then the same names, you know, they're just variants of the names in, a, in, in this. Um, 
So he starts with Adam and goes with uh, Seth to Enoch uh, and on, on through to each of, the, each of the ones. Verse 5 goes, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, and Madiah, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiris, the sons of Gomer, Asheshnaz, Rifa, and Togamah, and the sons of Jaran, Elisha, Tarshish, Kitram, and Dotanim. So here we have on this first list the sons of Japheth. Uh, in Genesis 9, we call it the table of nations. Out of Noah's children will rise all the nations of the world. All right? Uh, Japheth's sons are primarily European. They go to the north. Uh, and if you look at these sons, you look at the old maps, you'll find Gog, Magog, up around the Caspian Sea, Black Area, Black Sea Area. You, go, you see Jovan and Tubal, and they work their ways into the central parts of Europe. And so these are naming the, the big, nation, big nation groups of Europe. All right? Um, and so it goes through Japheth's sons. Um, and then we go in verse 8. The sons of Ham is Cush, Mizra, Mizraim, Pukt, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Sheba, Havilah, Sapta, Ramah, Saptika, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Durin. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he, became, and he began to be mighty upon the earth. And Mizraim begat Lutin, and Amim, and Lehabim, and Naphtutim, and Pathrushim, and Kushlahim, and of whom came the Philistines, and Kaphtothrim. And Canaan begat Zidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Zebusites also, and the Amorites, and the Gergesites, and the Hivites, and the Argites, and the Sinite, and the Arvaite, and the Shimarite, and the Hamathite. <laughs> All right. We have the sons of Ham. Ham's children primarily cover parts of the Middle East and Africa. And Canaan primarily is in the Middle East. Because you recognize those names. When we got to them, you saw those names. Uh, so we have here Ham producing his sons and places like Cush, which is Ethiopia. Uh, and we have uh, various other names there that are very familiar. But it also has there in verse 10, the first time he makes commentary on, on one of these, these children, he says, Cush begat Nimrod, who began to be mighty upon the earth. All right, Nimrod was the first one who made a big city and enslaved other human beings in, that we know of in the scripture. And he created a city. He's the one that tried to build the Tower of Babel. Uh, he built Babylon. He was able to make a mighty kingdom. And literally in, in the Genesis, it tells us that he was a hunter of souls. He offered sacrifices, human sacrifices to the gods. And he enslaved the world. And he was one of the first ones that took power to become a mighty leader and abuse people that we know of, at least after the flood. 
Uh, who knows what happened before the flood because we're not given a lot of information other than everybody did what was right in their own eyes, which probably meant enslaving and hurting each other as well. But Nimrod's the first one after the flood to start this whole process out. And he's the one that tries to build the Tower of Babel, and that would have been a very big ziggurat that they would have worshipped their gods on. Uh, he had a pantheon of 36 gods, and all of false worship falls back to Nimrod. So this is a pretty big name, and so he makes a big deal of naming Nimrod, because Nimrod is the focal point of all false religions. Now, it wasn't that they didn't have false religions before Nimrod, but everything focuses in on him as he formalized much of the false religion that happens in the world. And Babylon becomes the center of all false, false religions and activities. And then we get down to uh, Pathrusim and Gushilhim, and it says, the of whom came the Philistines. Philistines are a name that we know really well in the Bible. They're the ones that are on the coastal part of the Middle East. They're one of the enemies of Israel from the very beginnings of their time. And then uh, we read that uh, Canaan begat Zidon, his firstborn. And then he gives a whole list of names. And you notice that I said those names fairly easily and fairly fast because those are the names that we hear all the time. When the children of Israel come back from Egypt, it's the children of Canaan that live in the land of Canaan. The Jebusites, the Gergesites, the, all those other ites that I read are all the ones that are in there. Now it's kind of interesting because if you recall after the flood there's that incident where Noah gets drunk and his son Ham sees his nakedness and makes fun of him of some sort or worse. We don't know yet you know, what, what exactly in, entailed on that. And Noah pronounced a curse, not on Ham, but on Canaan. He says, cursed be Canaan. And Canaan's descendants are the ones that are going to, grow, that are going to inhabit the, what will later become the promised land, and they are the ones that get so evil that God judges them and has the Israelites completely execute them because of how evil they had become. And... We've talked about that at various times when we talked about the promised land being came back to the children of Israel were told to exterminate them because they were so bad that they did not have any word for for what we would call in our day and age uh, inappropriate sexual activities. They had no it was just one everything was just considered sex. All right. And they had no inappropriate, you know, children, animals, uh, mom, dad, uh, you know, homosexuality, you know, everything was all just the same thing. And that's how far down that they had come. And God says, destroy them all. And if you recall, he said, destroy the animals. And it was because of how much bestiality pursued in that, in that area. that He said, destroy even the animals. The animals themselves have been polluted. So he says, destroy all their animals, destroy all the people, destroy everything. And if you remember, they weren't, even able, they weren't even allowed to eat the fruit of the trees for seven years when they first came in. They could grow food, but they could not eat of the trees. So I don't know what would have polluted the trees, but God says don't even eat of the trees because of the evil that had been so prevalent in that land. And all Canaan's children that were in that section of 
the country, uh, the world when they were established. And those names are well known to the Bible scholars. Um, and so that was Canaan's children. And then it says the sons of Shem were Elam and Asher and Aphrax and Lud and Aram and Uz and Hol and Gether and Meshach. And Aphrax begat Shelah and Shelah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg because in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Jachten. And Jachten begat Almodad and, and Shelah and Hazar, Mathith, and Zerah, and Hadoram also, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Ebal, and Abinadel, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab, Jobab. All these were born of the sons of Jachtin. Shem is going to be the one who has the line of the Hebrew people that are going to be born. He is also the one that gives birth to the Asian, Asian line of people. So we have that whole line, and we've, if you follow these and you go back to old enough uh, cal uh, calendars, yeah, old enough calendars, old enough maps, <laughs> you will see these people groups all over the, all over the, the eastern part of the world. They were, were in Africa because of these groups that they were done. Um, now, Shem is going to give birth to Eber. Eber is the father of the Hebrew people. All right? Most people believe that Abraham is the father of the, of the Hebrew people. No, it's Eber. Eber lived at the same time that Nimrod lived. And actually was older, older than Nimrod. He was much closer. And he was the righteous leader of the righteous people. Nimrod led those against God. All right, so there were two mighty, <laughs> mighty leaders, and Nimrod, being willing to do just about anything, expanded his kingdom by slavery and force. Eber was preaching God, and all of those people. So now we have this situation that when Jacob comes down to Egypt to settle into Egypt, when Joseph saves him. Joseph told him that the Egyptians hate Hebrews. And at that time, they weren't really being known as Hebrews. There weren't that many of them. But this tells us that Eber's people, why were they hated? Why were the Hebrews hated? Because they have always been monotheistic. The followers that are considered Hebrews were monotheistic, whereas the other ones were polytheistic. And they made life miserable because they would say there's only one God and they would go back to the stories of Noah and the flood and the judgment and all of that. And those who have followed God have always been pushed away from by the world. And so Eber is the one that builds this, this righteous line coming in. And he's the, he's the founder of the Hebrew people. So all Jews are going to be Hebrews, but not all Hebrews are Jews. And so for the longest time, most of Asia were monotheistic people. Now, I'm not going to say they were following the one and only God, but they were monotheistic for a long time. And it's only been in the last uh, uh, century, uh, last, uh, last millennia, that they have drifted away from their monotheistic ways. 
Um, one God. One God. And they have the stories and everything and, and of, of God and of the, of the stories and followed, followed after God. Not in perfect way because they had drifted, drifted over the years, but they started with the right attitude. They started with the right way and very quickly <laughs> started drifting off to the point now where they've been conquered, you know, conquered and changed and gone into many different religions and everything. But when they first started, there was this monotheistic line of Shem that was traveling across. Uh, most of the Indian, Native American Indian tribes are, were monotheistic, uh, though they had started to drift into ancestor worship more than the worship of the one God. So they were getting it polluted with ancestor worship. And, and then they started working in animal, animal worship and everything. Uh, and there was really no one that instructed Eber in this uh, one God thing? I believe he got it straight because he lived at the same time that Noah lived. So he probably got it straight from Noah. And then he lived long enough because Eber is also the last of the long-lived peoples. He's going to live to be, I think it was 400 and something. He lived after the flood. He lived after the flood. He is going to live... Huh? Yeah, he was a descendant of Noah, not direct, not direct descendant of Noah, but he he, he was born of grandchild or great grandchild of Noah, knew Noah, but his life is so long that he lives all the way until past Joseph's death. Even though we don't hear much about him, he is the the head of the Hebrew people for a long period of time. Mostly the Near East, you know, what we would consider, uh, what they considered the Near East, the Asian down to India, but they'd gone all the way out to China. China has a lot of monotheistic tendencies on it, and the language has a, the history of everything we have in the Bible is in their language, in their writing. It's an amazing thing to look at their writing system and see God's story in their writing. So... There's a lot of people who believe that Chinese might have been one of the original languages. We're not going to play that, play that out there at the moment, but you know, it's it's not a, not too far fetched to think so. Do they consider what we used to call Asia Minor today? Do they consider that part of the Asia thing? Yeah, because that is that is mixture of Ham's and Shem's descendants through Asia Minor, and also at the top portion of it would have been. Asia Minor was kind of melting pot of the of the three suns as they spread out, um, because you start out with Babylon, which is right there in just just outside of Asia Minor, and they moved out into that area. So, so today, like Turkey, would be considered Near East or Asian. Yeah, Near East more than anything else, but the same same thing because they included. It used to be that Asia started right at the Mediterranean and went, well, east for us. So, so it was considered that. Africa started your African nations, and then um, Turkey was part of that Middle Eastern block. And then around the, around the Black Sea area, it changed over into European, European uh, thought processes. So, all right. And then it says in... 
Eber named one of his sons Peleg, and it says, because in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jacob. Now, many people think that uh, uh, this was a reference to the flood, but they live after the flood, so it can't be the flood. I do believe that this is the Tower of Babel event that Peleg happened in during uh, Peleg's name was the one that happened, and then because the earth was literally divided and spread and spread out. Uh, some people believe that is when continental drift started. I think continental drift started at the flood when God broke up the 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 lands. But I think this literally is referring to when God stepped down and stopped the Tower of Babel and confused people's language. Everything divided, and everybody went went their own way. And he, he changed the tongues, and God kept the tongues within certain families so that they could all talk to each other and move in the right directions. And people started spreading out across the world and moved very quickly from all of this and, and all the problems that were going on to fill the earth like God told them to. Uh, and, you know, it's pretty amazing what God did at the Tower of Babel. He said, men are one and they're going to keep you know, before the flood they were one and they got to where they just caused all kinds of trouble and did what was right in their own eyes. God said, okay, we're going to start separating them this time by making it that they can't speak together. And, you know, we think of it, you know, we have trouble enough with people and we know what different languages are. Can you imagine what it would have been like in the day of Babel when everybody all of a sudden started speaking a different language? You've never even heard a different language because before that everybody all spoke the same language. And all of a sudden, the guy next to you who you've been talking to all day starts babbling in, in words that you can't understand, and you speaking back to them, and they're looking at you, you know, without any understanding. And all of a sudden, the Tower of Babel stops being worked on. And everybody's going to find other people that they can talk to, and you can almost imagine, you don't understand, that guy's, that guy's crazy over there, and they're looking at you like, what? What are you talking about? And they're speaking to you and go, you're crazy too, and you're... You know, how long it took them to find other people that spoke language that they did, and then they were able to spread out and move further and further away. And that caused fear of the other person because you don't know how to communicate to them. There was fear. They didn't even know what another language was. And they spread out further and further and kept separate for a long time. And in our day and age, we're joining back together as one world. We have overcome the language barriers. Uh, if you have a cell phone and the right program, you can communicate with anybody in the world. Mm -hmm. You just take the translation program, type in your sentence, hit the translate button, they can read it, or some of them will even speak it for you. They can speak back to you, you can record it, or they can type it in and you can translate it, and we have no more language barrier technically. Uh, so we have overcome Babel. And we are moving into this end time that the Revelation predicted that we would have one world government again. And the prediction will be that it will be very much like Babel and Nimrod's reign where there will be an evil uh, leader drawing everybody together to enslave everybody. And that is exactly what we see in the tribulation period. So here we see this division. And Eber uses his son to say there's going to be a division <laughs> and names him that way, you know, his name means division. Now, Peleg, that means division. So he says it was going to happen. Verse 24 says, Shem, Aphath, and Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Ru, 
Shulak, Nabor, Teran, Abraham, Abram, the same is Abram, Abraham, and the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. All right, so we go from Shem, and now he gives the direct line between Shem to Abraham. So he's given this whole history. And one of the wonderful things is the detail God gives us to show us, you know, here is this line that goes straight through. We're not making it up. Here's the line. It's the same line we have before. And he says, you know, he gives these names, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Sherug, Nabor, Terah, and Abram. Now, Abram's the big name in this list. This is what he's trying to get to. Abram, who is going to become Abraham. All right? Uh, the father of the Jewish people. The chosen people. Eber, for as much as he was following God, was not the chosen individual. He was the, uh, the one that helped keep everybody on the right monotheistic worship. But Abraham is chosen. And it's kind of interesting. When you look at Abraham's history, his father and grandfather were not righteous people. They had idols. They worshipped idols. We see the whole thing when Isaac, go, uh, Isaac uh, when Jacob goes back to, back there to find them. They're, they've got idols and all these things going on. They're not a righteous people, and yet Abraham was called out of that family to be the one called by God. And Abraham's got his own problems. We we know the story of Abraham. You know he's going to lie a few times. He's you know, but he keeps coming back to worship God. He does love God. And I believe that he was influenced by Eber because Eber was still alive when Abraham was, was born. Eber was still there in the Ur of Chaldees area. That's where he stayed as far as we know. He never left that Babylonian area very far. So Abraham could have been very easily influenced by Eber. i got to ask this. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't think any of them go back this far. <laughs> uh, well, they'd be afraid to probably, but most of them that I know of, if you're in Europe or Asia, you can go quite a ways back because there's a lot of records uh, for it, especially if you end up in any form of the nobility class. Back to where? Oh, you'd probably go back to the four and five hundreds easily if you're in the noble classes. Now, if you're just a regular peasant person, you're not going to go very far back because nobody really cared unless you get hold of a family Bible, yeah. you know, showing you back in the history of it. And some of those do have those things, but, uh, but you know, we know the line of the kings and their princes and everything because those are important people, so they were all very well traced. Uh, but if you're the, the carpenter's son, you know, unless you had a family Bible or some, you know, Town, town history on it, you're not going to be well known. Um, so you don't go all that far back. There's always been, you know, we've got to keep in mind, we think of censuses as being something relatively new, but censuses have gone back forever because kings wanted to know how much taxes they were supposed to have. You know, I've got 20,000 people in my, in my territory, and I charged each person one gold piece. There better be 20,000 pieces of gold in my, in my treasury or somebody's cheating me. So they knew very well what their, what their tallies were. So it's a matter of just finding those, 
those records of the censuses that, that were kept. But I don't think most of these big sites go very far back. Um, I've been playing around with mine. I can get mine back to about 1500. Uh, you know, through through some of the lines of of the England English uh, English line that I have. Uh, I haven't gone back. I haven't given it serious stu serious study. Um, my aunt, I've got an aunt who's done lots of things, and she's flowed it back quite a ways through on the Swedish and and stuff. Yeah, there's always somebody in the. It's got to be the genealogist uh, keeper. So. And again, uh, so now we've got ourselves by verse 28 back to Isaac and Ishmael. All right. So verse 29. These are the generations of the firstborn of Ishmael. Okay. Ishmael is Abraham's son through Hagar, the Egyptian slave, because Sarah could not have children. These are the as far as God is concerned, these are the illegitimate children of Abraham because it wasn't his wife. So these sons, the firstborn of Ishmael, Nevaioth and Kedar and Adbiel and Mibsham and Mishma and Duma and Masa and Hadad and Temah and Jephthah and Nafish and Kidimoth, these are the sons of Ishmael. If you're in Genesis, it tells you that these are the 12 dukes of Ishmael. These are the leaders of their, their nations. All right? Ishmael's prayer, the sons of Ishmael, was the answer to Abraham's prayer when Sarah said, get rid of the Egyptian and her son, and Ishmael, and, and Abram said, God bless Ishmael, because he loved Ishmael. He was his firstborn. All right? And God said, I will. And Ishmael ends up having a mighty nation coming out of his loins, which today are giving Israel a hard time because the, they are the Arabians. They are the, the people that live in the Middle East right now are Ishmael's children, his descendants. This is why when people talk about creating peace in the Middle East, they don't realize that it is a great big family war. And they want to deal with it as if it isn't a family issue. Ishmael was Abram's firstborn child. By the laws of the human world, he was supposed to get the inheritance. He was supposed to get everything that Abram had, and Abram had, and God agreed with Sarah to kick him out. So when they claim that land, their claim is based on the world's way of thinking. We're Abraham's firstborn. We deserve this land. And you'll hear that. You'll hear that oftentimes if you listen to the, the broadcasts and their, their statements. This is our land. It belongs to us because. And they'll go back to Ishmael. But even to this day, it's a big family. Well, they don't understand it as fully as they do, but it's still... You'll hear it. You'll hear them say, this is our land because Abraham is our father. And, it, and they will say, because we're firstborn, he was firstborn, it's supposed to be our land. One country to another. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the countries necessarily, but the peoples within the country, which means the, the, the nation's leaders, which leads to the whole process of thinking we have the right to this land because they've usurped it from us. They, 
they took it from us, just like the problem between Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the younger brother, and God blessed the younger brother. So we have that same process going on, and there was problems between Esau and Jacob forever, and Esau's descendants in Jacob have the same problem. Okay, no. That's a good question. I just know that the Is- Islamic world has jurisdiction over. So I'm not sure which. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't pay that much attention to it. I know it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, it could even go back to to Iran or Iraq because those are the center, the centers of the Islam, Islam religion with with the uh, burial place of uh, uh, Muhammad. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that the religious, whoever is the lead of that religious sect is the one that controls the Dome of the Rock. Well, God chose, God chose Isaac. He, want, he said that, Abraham, your wife is going to be the one that gives the birth to the child. God, God knows the beginning from the end, so he knew, he knew Ishmael's lifestyle would not be what he wanted, so he chose Isaac. And so in each step of the way, God has chosen because of his pre-knowledge of the future. You know, God sees the beginning from the end. He already knows the end when he makes his decisions. He, the curse on, when Ham violated his father, the curse was on Canaan, not on Ham. So, you know, Ham is the one that apparently, you know, did whatever it was that caused the curse, but Canaan is the one that got cursed. And we see that the people of Canaan are going to be an awful, terrible people. Not that the rest of them are much much better, but the people of Canaan were awful and really deep into sin and everything. Uh, the rest of the world had sin, but not to the level that that place did. And that's where Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be found. That's where all these things are going to be found uh, in, their, in their destruction. And so they had over 400 years, 430 years to get right with God, and they did not get right with God. God's patience is, is an amazing thing how long he is long-suffering with people. And so we have this, this list to, to leading down to the, the heads of uh, Ishmael's tribes. And they're going to form all of those Jordanians and all the Arab, Arab people and all those other places down along those, the, that line. All right, verse 32. Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, she bears Zimram, Jakshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua and the sons of Jakshan and Sheba and Detan and the sons of Midian, Ephah and Ephur and Hernok and Abida and Elida. All these are the sons of Keturah. The, and Abraham begat Isaac and the sons of Isaac, Esau and Israel. All right. For those of you who don't know, Abraham had a wife, had a concubine after Sarah died. He's 100 and 
15 or something when that happens. He gets a concubine and he has all kinds of sons with her. So he has one son with an Egyptian, he has one son with Sarah, and he has a whole bunch of sons with a concubine, and they were given nothing. He gave them gifts and sent them away. He goes, Isaac was a child of promise. Isaac was going to get his inheritance. So Ishmael got nothing at all. He was just kicked out. These ones all got gifts and were sent out according to Genesis. So we see here that Abraham had quite a few children. And he's only credited with, in God's sight, one. <laughs> all right, and that's Isaac. Um, at that time, there was no forbidding of the concubines. But yes, probably. <laughs> but concubines had a unique position. They weren't just, they weren't somebody committing adultery. They were not given all the privileges of a wife, but they had to be taken care of. Their children did not get rights of the inheritance, but they had to be taken care of. And if you got rid of them, you had to give them basically a right of divorce and and the money to, to, to live on. So concubines, kind of an interesting, interesting place. Uh, but you definitely couldn't do that today. Uh, not in most countries. <laughs> not in most countries. You, it's kind of frowned on to have a mistress on the side of, of your wife. Uh, but and again, all through the Old Testament, we have so many of these people that had multiple wives and concubines. We have Solomon, who has 300 wives and 600 concubines. You know, just, just a few. You know, uh, a little too many as far as I'm concerned. But, but here we have... But now he did wait until after Sarah died before he had another, another wife. But he had taken Hagar because his wife told him to go take her and have, you know, have a child because I'm, I'm barren. She's in her 90s. She says, I can't have children. Go, go get a son through her. Uh, and then didn't like the way Hagar looked at her when she got pregnant and uh, said, get rid of this woman, especially after she had her child and, they were, and Ishmael was mistreating Isaac and said, no, get rid of them. They're not, they're not going to have any part of it. And Isaac uh, was 12 years younger than Ishmael. So there was a long period of time between these two. So Abram had a long time to get attached to Ishmael before Sarah said, get these guys out of here. They're not going to have part of this inheritance. And were kicked out of the, kicked, uh, driven, driven away. So we have this problem, you know, thing. But Keturah is kind of the lost person on the, on the story of Abraham because most people don't re, never know her. And yet she gives him quite a few sons. Uh, so, again, we have another set of sons that are going to be potential problems for Israel. And then we've got Lot's sons that are going to be a problem for Israel. Uh, you know, and that's from the insensual relationship that he has with his daughters after he escapes from Sodom and Gomorrah. And he has his daughters getting him drunk, which we'll talk about a little later on. And he has two sons for them. Huh? Lot, that's what I said. Okay. Uh, and they're going to cause trouble. Uh, Edom and, and uh, Amron were going to, and Moab are going to cause troubles to, to, to Israel all the life. And they come from Lot. And Lot was with Abraham because Abraham disobeyed God and took somebody with him because he said, go, leave your family behind. And he takes Lot. And as a matter of fact, he took his dad and he got stopped at 
stopped at Haran before, and his dad had to die before he continued on. So, you know, we look at Abram, and he was very called by God, but he wasn't always perfectly obedient to God. Uh, and yet, and because of his disobedience, all kinds of interesting things happened that causes his family trouble later on. This is the consequence of sin. Sin always has consequences. He took Lot with him and then ended up having Lot give birth to, to enemies of his children later on. He, he had son, the son of Ishmael trying to do things on his own, ends up with enemies to his children in the future. You know, quite, a, quite a thing. And these are long-term enemies. And we don't even know what some of our sins may have long-term. Sometimes we see what the consequences of our immediate sin, and we may not really fully understand what the long-term sin consequences are. Uh, somebody who gets into becoming a drunk and then passes on to their children and their children and their children and their children, and you end up with a long line of people that are nothing but drunkards. Uh, you know, and this happens through, through a long process of time, and your one act ends up affecting grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Now, they're not free of their own obligation to be diso- you know, obedient or disobedient, but you set the pattern. And this is something that's very important. And, and we see there the pattern that was set and the problems that have happened because of this. All right. Um, so in verse 34, we have Abraham begat Isaac, and, and Isaac begat Esau and Israel. Now this is very interesting because each one of these, Abram was promised a great nation that would number the stars in the sand. He has one child, one legitimate child as far as God's concerned. Isaac is given the same promise. You're going to be the father of a great nation and and your your descendants will number as the sand. He gets two, twice as many as his dad. Okay, And Jacob is going to be given the same promise. And he's going to have just a few more kids. Uh, So we're going to look at verse 35. And the sons of Esau are Eliphaz, Ruel, Jeus, Jaleam, and Korah, and Eliphaz, Tezman, and Omar, and Ziphi, and Katan, and Kenaz, and Timnah, and Amalek, and the sons of Ruel, Nahal, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizzah, the sons of Sir, Lotan, Zob- Shobal, Zibani, and Anna, and Dishan, and Izar, and Dishan, and the sons of Lotan, Horai, and Homan, and Timnah, was Lotan's sister, and the sons of Shobal, Alishan, Ali-an, and Manathath, and Ebal, and Shiphai, and Onan, and the sons of Zibion, Oya, and Anan, and the sons of Anan, Dishan, and the sons of Dishan, Amram, and Ishvan, and Ithram, and Kiram, and the sons of Izar with Bilham, Zahan, and Jadan, and the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aram. <laughs> I feel sorry for these kids. I don't know why they ever got names like this. <laughs> these are the sons of Esau, and if you remember Esau, he went out and purposely married local Canaanite women. And if you remember the reason why, because they sent his brother Jacob to go get a wife out of, out of Ur. 
they were sent back, trying to protect him from being killed by his brother. But you know, but he said, we have uh, Rebecca, um, Rebecca going and saying, uh, I can't stand that my son will marry one of these heathen women. Let's send him back to, back home to go get a go get a good wife, <laughs> a righteous wife type deal. Uh, she's actually trying to protect him because his brother swore that he was going to kill him after he stole the birthright, and uh, and the and the and the birthright, and then the firstborn's blessing was stolen by him, and Esau said, "I'm you just wait. Dad's going to die sooner or later, and I'm going to kill you," and. Rebecca heard that and sent him away to, to be safe. Uh, Rebecca, yeah, Rebecca. Uh, so we have all these sons that he has, and these are all children of Canaanite women, or that area's women, which means most likely idol idol worshippers. And he's going to get rich. He's going to be blessed, just as God said, "Your descendants will be blessed." Every one of these groups have descendants that are blessed and became great peoples. So I, um, Abram has a very large, almost everybody in the Middle East is Abraham's children. Uh, not just counting the Jewish people, but almost everybody in the Middle East is his children. Uh, and so we have this huge, huge group of people that are all descendants of him. So God, God kept his word. And each one of them are mighty nations in and of themselves. And we see this problem that, that's occurring as we see what's going on. Um, and verse 43, Now these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before the king reigned over the children of Israel. Balah the son of Beor, the name of the city was Dinhaba. And when Bilah was dead, Jabath the son of Zerath the, of Basra reigned in his stead. And when Jabath was dead, Hushan of the land of the Tel... Telmonites reigned in his stead, and when Hushan was dead, Hadad, the son of Bidad, which smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead, and the name of his city was As, as Thith. And when Hadad was dead, Shamla of Maskreka reigned in his stead, and when Shamla was dead, Shulul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his stead. And when Shaul was dead, Baal Hanan, the son of Achbor, reigned in his stead. And when Baal Hanan was dead, Hadad reigned in his stead. So again, Hadad was very use, very repeated name here. Note, note that as we've said this several times now. Reigned in his stead and named his city Baai. And his wife was named Mehatabel, the daughter of Metad, the daughter of Mizhathab. So here we have one of the first daughters named on this long genealogies, and it's of an ancient reign, ancient reign in, in Moab, uh, or Edom rather. And Hadad died also, and the dukes of Edom were Duke Timnah, Duke Ahaya, Duke Jetheth, Duke Ahabama, Duke Ila, Duke Pinan, Duke Kinez, Duke Tezman, Duke Mibzar, Duke Magdiel, Duke Iram. These are the Dukes of Edom. Edom is the area reigned over one of, by one of Lot's children. All right. So, and this is another generation that didn't belong there, because but because of Abraham's disobedience, they were brought in, and this is going to be another set of people. 
And they had kings long before Israel did. And this is what it said, that, you know, these are ones that had kings before the days of the children of Israel were reigned by a king. And this is one of the complaints that the children of Israel are going to have later on when Samuel, uh, yeah, Samuel's children are misbehaving. And they're going, we don't want any more prophets. We don't want any more judges. We want a king like everybody else. And God had already told them back in the days of the Pentateuch, he goes, in, in Deuteronomy, he goes, when you ask for a king, <laughs> this is what a king will do, and this is what he'll require, and this is what you're asking for. And so when they asked Samuel for a king, God told him, give them what they want and tell them what a king would do. So he quotes, you know, in the book of Samuel, he quotes Deuteronomy back to them, saying, this is what the king's going to demand. You know, and some of those things was, the king's going to demand 10%. Who did 10% belong to? God. He's going to take the best of your people. Who do the best of the people belong to? God. Basically, he says, the king is going to take my place and demand. Now, we would love to have a 10% tax rate by kings and, and leaders. That would be wonderful. But God says, they're going to take my taxes. They're going to take my portion as their taxes. They're going to take the best of the land. They're going to take the best of the, they're going to take the first fruits of the crops and take it for themselves. They're going to take the best best workers, and this is what they were told. This is what you're asking. You're asking to replace God as your lead, leader. And that's what they did. They replaced God as their leader. And so these nations have that in here. And we're going to stop here at seven, almost 7.30. I thought I was going to get into chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the details that you give us for, for our for your people, and that you are a God that cares for individual people, and that you have a plan for each one of us. And we just thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.